good to see each of you here again this morning. Greetings in Jesus' name again. And you know, these announcements of death bring reflections. Uh, Howard was one of my pastors way back when I was a teenager. In fact, I would just joined the church not too long before he was ordained. I think in 1969, he was the pastor at the Pike Church. And uh, then he was our bishop when we lived in South Carolina. So uh, these kind of things do have some connections for us. Um, And I was thinking, isn't he and Doris Heatwell brother and sister? So he would would be a a brother to Charles Heatwell's wife, Doris. And uh, so, anyhow, it's just a connection. Um, just got word last evening that a neighbor man passed away. We're living in the land of dying people. And we will as long as this, uh, this earth remains. But we can also be, be living in, or we are living in a land where we can look forward to an eternal resurrection. Now, that's not the message this morning, but I just thought about those things as we think about those dying around us. And getting ready for this message, my mind started one place and it went way out there somewhere and then I ended up where I started. I've titled it Job and I. And if you want to take this personally, which I hope you do, like I have tried to, um, then it will benefit you as well. Heard a question, or there was a question made recently that got me to thinking about how much the concept of the question may be true in my life. Now, I'm not going to tell you the question right here in the beginning. I'll tell you the question later on. But I want to look a little bit at the book of Job, uh, an account that most of us are familiar with. But the thought that came out to me is this. Job had a pretty good grasp of who God is. But he realized that his grasp of who God is wasn't as close to what he thought it was as what it is. So I'm I'm have verses printed out on my paper, and so I probably won't give you time to catch up right off the bat. But uh, I'll try to give you references so that you can follow along. But it starts out. With Job being perfect or blameless, upright, one that feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters and a large uh, substance. He was the greatest of all the men of the East. But I want to start reading now in verse 6. And it says this, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? 
So Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth in it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? I'll stop reading there. So in these next verses, then you see, see Satan taking away everything that Job had as far as material possessions. Everything. Well, he would have had a few servants left that escaped to come and tell him the news. And this was Job's response in verse 20. Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, and he fell on the ground and worshipped. I'll stop there just a little bit. I haven't arrived at that. I lose one cow and I start asking why. What did I do wrong? Or what can we do to fix this? Or, you know, all those kind of things. It says here that Job fell down and worshipped. Verse 21, and he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. Go to chapter 2. Starting at verse 1. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth in it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. And still he holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause. So Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin. Yes, all that a man has he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will surely curse you to your face. Verse 7. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took for himself a potsherd with which to scrape himself while he sat in the midst of the ashes. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God? And shall we not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. We'll stop there just a little bit. And this morning I have a lot of verses, and I'm not going to say a lot about a lot of them. But you know, I've um, in my mind in verse ten, it says. Um, Well, let me get the right chapter here. I have always interpreted that to be, shall we indeed accept good from God? And shall we not accept adversity from God? 
Uh, I'm not sure that that's correct. The adversity comes, God allows it, but I'm not sure that God is the one that brings the adversity. Satan's the one that's bringing the adversity to Job here. Uh, just, just a thought, side thought from where my mind is going, but it, uh, we dare not attribute any wrongdoing to God. Scripture tells us God is not tempted and does not tempt anyone. But God does allow things to come in our life for the intent to bring us closer to him. Before I go into the next part of it here, I do have one little question. I thought about it as I was uh, reading here about a man will give anything for his life. Somebody came across something and said, well, that would be a good Bible trivia question. Can somebody tell me where masks are first identified? In, this, in, the, in the life of mankind? Which year did it happen? Was it in the 1700s or the 1800s? And this isn't, this isn't the subject at all this morning, but I just thought about it. It's in Leviticus. The leprous person was supposed to cover their bottom lip and then cry unclean. Uh, just thought that was interesting in where we find ourselves today. So there were things that happened in the life of the children of Israel that caused them to be unclean. All right, getting back to Job. So we have Job in dire straits. He's lost everything. He's even lost his, his physical health. He's sitting there in the ashes, and then he has his friends to come to him. So what are friends for? They're to lift us up, right? It was interesting, and I've just, in, in my reading this week, I just quickly went through the book of Job, uh, and I'm sure I've missed a lot of things, and you'll think of some things that I've missed, and that's okay. This is what Job says about what friends are for. In chapter 6, starting at verse 14. To him who is afflicted, kindness should be shown by his friends, even though he forsake the fear of the Almighty. Let me stop there. Job's concept of God is that he said that friends are supposed to, Job's concept of friends is this, that Kindness should be shown even though they forsake God. Well, you see, Job's friends were basically telling Job that you're in this situation because you're not as good as you think you are. You're not the kind of man you proclaim yourself to be. Verse 15, my brothers have dealt deceitfully like a brook, like the streams of the brooks that pass away. In other words... You friends have dealt deceitfully with me. With me, You're like a stream that dries up because there's no water coming. Verse 16. I'll just keep reading here for a couple verses. Which are dark because of the ice and into which the snow vanishes. When it is warm, they cease to flow. When it is hot, they vanish from their place. 
The paths of their way turn aside. They go nowhere and perish. The caverns of Tema look. The travelers of Sheba hope for them. They are disappointed because they were confident. They come there and are confused. And now you are nothing. You see terror and are afraid. So Job's saying, in my distress, I had these friends that came. And they're basically like a brook that dried up because they don't have anything to share. But I want to spend most of my time this morning looking at Job's concept in all this situation of God and who he is. So I'm just going to go through a number of passages, parts of passages, and we're going to see what Job's concept of God is. Going to chapter 9 and verse 1. Job answered and said, Truly I know it is so, but how can a man be righteous before God? If one wished to contend with him, he could not answer him one time out of a thousand. God is wise in heart and mighty in strength. Who has hardened himself against him and prospered? He removes the mountains, and they do not know when he overturns them in his anger. He shakes the earth out of its place, and its pillars tremble. He commands the sun, and it does not rise. He seals off the stars. He alone spreads out the heavens and treads out the waves of the sea. He made the bear, Orion, and Pleiades, and the chambers of the south. He does great things past finding out. Yes, wonders without numbers, without number. If he goes by me, I do not see him. him. If he moves past, I do not perceive him. If he takes away, who can hinder him? Who can say to him, what are you doing? God will not withdraw his anger. The allies of the proud lie prostrate beneath him. How can I answer him and choose my words to reason with him? For though I be righteous... I could not answer him. I would beg mercy of my judge. Job had an amazing concept of who God was. I couldn't answer one question in a thousand, Job says. He's, God is wise. He's mighty. You can't prosper if you work against him. And so forth. Job 10 and verse 8. Your hands have made me and fashioned me an intricate unity. Job talking about his body. You made me. You fashioned me. I am an intricate unity. Man today largely does not get that. They don't grasp some of these things. Chapter 12 and verse 7. But now ask the beasts and they will teach you. And the birds of the air and they will tell you. Or speak to the earth and it will teach you. And the fish of the sea will explain to you. Who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? In whose hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind? Does not the ear Test words, 
and the mouth taste food? I'll stop there. I go up and down Interstate 81 quite frequently. And the deer down there around the uh, New Market Rest area are a better weather predictor than what the weather forecaster with all their instruments and knowledge are. You know, when the snows were coming, I was pretty sure we was going to get some weather because of the amount of deer that were out there and the time of day that they were there. Job knew this. He said, the beast teach you. The birds of the air tell you. Somebody that knows way more about gardening than I do said it's going to be a, a hard winter or a cold winter this year because of how early things went dormant last fall. Those plants told him because they're working at the hand of God. Job says, God made my ears to hear. God made my mouth to taste food in verse 11. Job 13, verse 15. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. That is putting confidence in an almighty God. Job 14, verse 7. For there is hope for a tree, if it is cut down, that it will sprout again, and that its tender shoots will not cease. Though its root may grow old in the earth, and its stump may die in the ground. And I hope I didn't cut something out there because I'm missing a verse number, and I think I just cut the number off. Verse 9, yet at the scent of water it will bud and bring forth branches like a plant. But... Man dies and is laid away. Indeed, his breath, he breathes his last, and where is he? As water disappears from the sea and a river becomes parched and dries up, so man lies down and does not rise. Till the heavens are no more, they will not awake nor be aroused from their sleep. Now stop there. Job recognized that man dies and that's the end of his physical life. He said he's not going to come back. He's not going to be aroused from his sleep until the heavens are no more. Even though that tree that you cut down and want to kill just keeps on coming back and back and back. Um, yes, some of you wouldn't understand that. But we try to keep fence rows from coming out. If you let a fence row grow, it keeps on going. And... Uh, all right, Job 19. And this is a verse that we're all familiar with. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold and not another. How my heart yearns within me. Job wanted to see his Redeemer. He recognized that he had an eternal God that he could put his trust and his confidence in. Job 26, verse 7 and 8. He stretches out the north over empty space. 
He hangs the earth on nothing. He binds up the water in his thick clouds, yet the clouds are not broken under it. Now, I won't spend a lot of time there, but think about Brother Raymond Shank every time those verses come up because he had it figured out how much weight or how many truckloads of water it would take to put one inch of rain on, on, of water on Rockingham County. Well, it's up there in the clouds, something that you can fly through with an airplane, but yet it holds it up there. Even Elihu had a pretty good concept of God. From Job 36, in verse 26, Behold, God is great, and we do not know him, nor can the number of his years be discovered. For he draws up drops of water, which distill as rain from the mist, which the clouds drop down and pour abundantly on man. Elihu recognized the Almighty. Chapter 37, verse 6. Elihu still speaking. For he says to the snow, fall on the earth, likewise to the gentle rain and the heavy rain of his strength. He seals the hand of every man that all men may know his work. The beasts go into their dens and remain in their lairs. From the chamber of the south comes the whirlwind and cold from the scattering winds of the north. By the breath of God, ice is given and the broad waters are frozen. Also his moisture, with moisture, he saturates the thick clouds. He scatters his bright clouds and they swirl about being turned by his guidance, that they may do whatever he commands them on the face of the whole earth. He causes it to come, whether for correction, or for his land, or for mercy. Came across this verse one morning, uh, verse 10. And I read it in a different version, and it came up, it, it stood out in a little different way. Not very long before that, Brother Dave Fry, uh, you all probably remember him, been Andrea's father, that was here for revival meetings, now Andrea Fry, Helmuth's father. He sent a picture on his WhatsApp status of them skating on what they called the big lake up there. And Dave said, I've been here 30 years and we have never had this lake frozen over. He said, we could skate for miles. So I sent this to him. By the breath of God, ice is given and the broad waters are frozen. He even got to skate on some of those that were frozen by God's word. Now, through all of this, we have the back-and-forth conversation between these three and Job. And I didn't just study that, but it, it reminds me a lot of times of conversations that get extended 
about different topics today. Seems like the longer it goes, the more controversial and heated it gets, and the longer it goes, you know, my opinion still matters more than your opinion, and they have this back and forth. I need to keep learning this one. Uh, there was a quote years ago. didn't write it down. I think I can get it correct here. And that, it's something, at least the, the thought is there is more learned by listening than there is by speaking. And it's true. I learn a whole lot more when I listen to somebody than I do when I'm trying to tell them what, I need to, what they need to know. Then we go to chapters 38 and 39. We have God becoming part of this conversation. I debated how much to read here. But God comes and and talks to Job. And he says this in verse 2. Who is this of chapter 38? Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? I'll stop there. I just said Job had a concept of God. He had a knowledge of God. God's telling him, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? You don't know anything yet. Verse 3, gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee, and answer thou me. Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest? Or who hath stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. I didn't read that correctly. I'm going to go back and read that. That's a sentence together. Wherefore, verse 6, Wherefore are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the corner foundation thereof when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut up the sea with doors when it break forth as if it had issued out of the womb? When I made the cloud, the garment thereof, and thick darkness a swaddling band there for it, and break up for it my decree place, and set bars and doors, and said, Hitherto shalt thou come, but no farther, and here shall thy proud waves be stayed. Hast thou commanded the morning since thy days, and caused the day spring to know this his place, that it might take hold of the ends of the earth, that the wicked might be shaken out of it? It is turned to as clay, to the seal, and they stand as a garment. And from the wicked their light is withholden, and the high arm shall be broken. I want to stop there. It's a God saying, where were you when all this took place? Man today still is afraid about the bounds of the ocean. God says he sets the bounds for it. He puts the doors and says you can go this far and no farther. You can read some more in Job 38 and 39. And God presenting to Job who he is. 
Now I want to get to Job's reply. Turn to chapter 40. Verse 1. Moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, Shall the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? He who rebukes God, let him answer it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand over my mouth. Once I have spoken, but I will not answer. Yes, twice, but I will proceed no further. When Job took a look at who God was through God's mouth, he said, I am vile. I don't have anything to say to you. For chapter, uh, chapter 42, first number of verses there. Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You asked, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. I'm going to stop there just a little bit. Job said, I've uttered all these things. He said, I still didn't understand them. I didn't know what I was talking about. Verse 4, listen please and let me speak. You said, I will question you and you shall answer me. This is what Job says. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. This is the man that God said in the beginning of the book, Have you considered this man that's upright before me? He's living his life for me. When he came to this point, Job says, I saw myself for who I am. Now I'll give you the question that I heard. Something happened. I don't even remember the circumstance, but the statement was made, am I good or what? I mean, I did a good job. Did you see it? If I remember right, the statement was made, you know, that's a mighty carnal question. Am I good or what? You know, once in a while I accomplish something the first time. Am I good or what? So, the title I gave was Job and I. So I'm going to look a little bit at where my mind started in all this process with who am I. Turn to, to Romans chapter 12. And 
And keep in mind, Job, we, we hear a long discourse of who Job recognized God to be. But when he saw God for who he truly was, he said, I repent. I didn't know what I was talking about. First number of verses here of chapter 12. Say this, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God hath dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another." Now stop reading there. Verse 3 is the verse that my mind went to. But before I get there, you, in the context of this, do you see how much of this is about God instead of about me? Verse 1. It's by the mercies of God that we're to present our bodies. And the presentation is to be holy and acceptable to God. Verse 2. Our mind is to be transformed, renewed, to prove the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. In verse 3, God's the one that meets out what's yours to do and what's mine to do. And it's only, verse 5, it's only through Christ that we can be to each other what God intends for us to be. We are individually members of one another. I want to go back in the last couple of verses of chapter 11, uh, verse 33. And this, uh, in verse 1, it says, I beseech you, therefore, look at what he says here in chapter, in chapter 11, starting at verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor? Or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again? For of him, and through him, and to him are all things. To whom be glory forever. Amen. Therefore... Present yourselves to God 
too many times I get or have a warped view of my opinion, of my abilities, of what I know. I think that's where Job was. He had a good grasp of who God was, but he still didn't see it fully. He thought he was a pretty good guy. God thought he was too. God said so. But he still had some things to learn. So the challenge I want to leave with us this morning is this. Most of you aren't as old as I am. There's a couple of you here older than I am this morning. But I still don't know it all. And I probably don't know as much as I let on. I maybe do sometimes. Certainly don't know what Job knew. But yet I know some things that Job didn't know. Because he was before Christ was here. But I still too many times get... um, Think higher of myself than what I ought to think. Somehow I have the feeling that I'm not by myself in all this. We get a pretty good opinion of my opinion. And we do what we can to promote it. Let's be like Job and recognize that when we come to know God for who he truly is, then we're really not as much as we think we are. But we can be all he wants us to be through Christ and his resurrection. We have a song, please.